Please stand with me in honor of the word of God as I read from Exodus 40, 33 through 35. Then Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle and altar and put up the curtain at the entrance to the courtyard. And so Moses finished the work. Then the, the cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses could not enter the tent of meeting because the cloud had settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The word of God for the people of God. Good morning. You may be seated. Today the kiddos are staying in so there's not the loud thunder of them running out. Samuel had a friend come last week and he thought it was uh, uh, the last Sunday of the month because it was the 24th and he had been asking this friend to come for a long time and he finally said yes and came and Samuel said, oh man, I can't believe you're coming on the most boring Sunday because it's the last Sunday in the month and we don't have children's church. And so um, I was talking to his mom and, <laughs> and she asked me about that. And I said, well, it actually wasn't the last Sunday of the month. So they got to go to children's church. And so they had a, lot, a blast uh, up there. But I thought I'd in, involve the kids a little bit this morning um, as they're kind of one of the things they do a lot of times. And we've been doing this on Wednesday nights a little bit too is as they listen to the lesson, they kind of draw a picture of what I'm speaking about or teaching about. And a lot of times they'll bring it up afterwards, and it's been really cute, some of the, the pictures that they bring up and give to me. I have some of them pinned up on my wall. But as we read this morning and as we've been reading this week, we see that the bulk of the text is about the building of the tabernacle. It's, and as, as we read in our uh, call to worship from Psalm 27, which we read this week, um, there is a call into the house of the Lord. It's the one thing that David desires above all else is just to dwell in the house of the Lord. What that means is just to dwell in his presence, dwell in his house. So all of you um, live in a house, I believe, that are here today. You can live in houses, apartments, mobile homes, different places. But I'm pretty familiar with you all. So you all live in a house, is that right? And... What could you tell me? What are some of the favorite things about your house, Samuel? We'll start with you. Is this, still, this one still on too? Here, Samuel. Uh, the bathrooms. Uh, yeah. The bathrooms and what? Bathroom. If you, if you came up to your house, um, how would people come into your house? Like if they knocked on the door, rang the doorbell, what would they first see? Our living room. The living room? So they come straight into the living room? Yeah, they mostly go in like the attic. Or the, not the attic, the foyer. They come into like a little foyer kind of hallway area yeah. first, and then there's another door, and then how do they, then what do they come into? Uh, either the kitchen or the living room, mm-hmm. or down the stairs. Cool. And you like your bedroom and everything? Yeah. Cool. Pass it over to Luca. Let's hear from Luca. What's your house like? It's big. And I like my bedroom and the guest bedroom. You like I it? like my bed, too. Cool. Thank you, Luca. How about you, London? I like my bedroom and um, the living room. Nice. How about you, Naomi? 
What do you like about your house, Naomi? Okay. The shy ones. Well, thank you, kids. Today we'll be talking about the house of the Lord, right? Kind of about his house where he wanted to dwell with us, okay? So if you want to draw any pictures, it'll be about the, the house of the Lord, the tabernacle is what it's called today. So thank you all for being here. As we saw in our text today, the conclusion of Exodus 40. If you want to catch up with us, all you got to do is probably spend about an hour reading and read all of Genesis and all of Exodus and uh, you know Psalms up to 31, and you'll be caught up with us. And you can continue to join us, or you can just start where we're at. We're into Leviticus now, but as we finished Exodus 40, we read this, mo- this morning that Moses set up the courtyard around the tabernacle. I like houses with courtyards. There's this outer area that you come into kind of first. Teresa's been watching some series, and they're um, in India, and this person has got a... Uh, kind of an inheritance in this big house and he's English and he's moving there there's all these things going on but it has this magnificent courtyard I mean you come in and there's these gardens you come in this gate and it's it's fenced in and you walk for a long time before you get to the front door even the front porch where you then start entering in uh, to the actual house or get to the door and it's really they spend a lot of time out there and it's beautiful there's all kinds of things that are precious to them in the courtyard, and uh, I just love court, court, courtyards. I love gardens and all those kinds of trees and things that are precious to you before you even get to the house. And we don't have many of those, but uh, they did on the house of the Lord. There was a magnificent courtyard, and, and, and for chapters upon chapters, kind of what the Pro- Bible Project guys did was show videos and everything about uh, that Exodus is kind of divided into two portions and up to about verses 18, chapter 18, it's all about the exodus, which is what the word means. They're leaving Egypt. And then when you get to 19, there's this transition of, of God meeting uh, with his people on Mount Sinai. So there's a real shift. And all the rest of the chapters are about how God is going to dwell with his people and how he's going to do it. How is this holy God? There's on Mount Sinai, it's a, it's a scary thing. God's presence comes down, and men can't dwell. They won't even go up. They're like, we'll stay down here. You go up, Moses. And, and yet God desires to meet with his people. But this barrier from the fall of sin, he has to make a way. And one of the way he says, well, if you can't come up to me on this mountain, I'll come down to you. And here's how I will dwell uh, with you. I will dwell with you in this house. And, and this tabernacle, it is called. Uh, for a while, uh, Moses is, is meeting God in the tent of meeting. So there's a tent. That's where he meets uh, with God. And it, it, it grows from there, from this tent of meeting to this tabernacle. And that's what we read about for chapters and chapters um, uh, through Exodus. Clear to the end to our text today that Moses set up that outer part of the courtyard around the tabernacle. And you entered in. And there was a curtain to the entrance of the courtyard. Then you went into the Holy of Holies. There was another curtain there. And what happened was when they completed all this, I don't know if you all remember reading it, it was God gave them the very specific instructions, and you read all that through Exodus, right? 
and you're reading it, do it just exactly like this, exactly like this. And then after he gets done giving them all the instructions, then they start the work and it's all repeated again because it says, we did it exactly like this and we did it exactly like this and Moses did it exactly like the command of the Lord and they actually do a good job. And they do it, of course, through the grace and empowerment of the Lord. God puts his spirit in certain people. Two guys are named um, Oliab and another guy starts to be these difficult kind of pronouncing names. And he puts his spirit in them, the wisdom of knowledge and, 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 and wisdom of craftsmanship, it says. Like he gave them, besides what actually maybe gifts they had learned in Egypt, some building pyramids and all the stuff of living there and working with hammered metals and golds and the best of everything and the richest nation on earth and all the things they might have learned. Besides that, God puts his spirit within them to be skilled, not to you know, get up here and preach, not to get up and, you know, lead worship or all the other things, but skilled craftsmen to work. Isn't that interesting? Like, what are some of the things we should do as a church when, you know, when people come in? Like, you know, of course it's nice to have them involved in worship and preaching and teaching and children's ministries and all these things, but what's most important in your life a lot of times is your work and what you do and how valuable is that? And a lot of times we might get a you know, plumber in or something comes into church and we're like, ah, you know, you know, you know, you need to kind of change some things, you know, you know, you smoke a lot, you know, tobacco's not good for you, you know, drinking a lot, you know, getting drunk on weekends, all these things, that's not really good. Maybe we could help you, you know, get over some of those things. But maybe one of the first things that we should ask is, are you good at your work? Are you a good plumber? And how can we help you be a better plumber? Be more reliable, be good at your work, be good at your job. How can the Holy Spirit fill you with a spirit of craftsmanship with what you do and love what you do and love your work? That's really a lot of what the church should be into. It's not just what happens here, but it's how their life is lived every day out there. And so they brought their skills. God anointed that. They worked. And what we read is that everything going on from hammered metals to the embroidery of curtains from the Ark of the Covenant built this box that would house the the Ten Commandments on stone laid in there, this covenant of how God would relate to his people was overlaid with gold and it was uh, precious in the, in the Holy of Holies and then there was these cherubim built over it. And what did that represent? So from the cover of gold to bronze altars to these designer clothes for the priest to custom woodwork and table with showbread from the most precious, one of the most precious things was this golden lampstand. It's all about the construction of this place and the furnishings thereof. And you read in detail, chapter after chapter, of the skill that went into building just this mobile tent, tabernacle, where God would dwell with his people, move with his people when they moved in this nomadic fashion, this tabernacle. And that's what we read in chapters 19 through 40. The bulk of that is all about the construction of this. You see, God's really like an artist, isn't he? He's really concerned with the design and, you know, the threads used, you know, gold threads in this, you know, golden thread, different colors. He loves colors. He's put it. He's put it in creation. You start looking at some of that purple dye, and you start studying that. And even in Jesus' day with Lydia, you know, in Philippians, she was a seller of purple, and purple was so hard to get. You had to get these musk and get it out and get this purple dye out. And you know how many musk you got to get to get enough to dye a bunch of clothes? 
And they, they was traded almost equal with the, the price of gold. Purple itself, just purple dye and being able to dye was as valuable as gold. Be able to make something purple. And back then, my understanding is they had to use snails. There was this little snail. You know how many snails you got to get, you know, to, to get just a little bit of this dye out of it. It's just the detail is phenomenal. The detail of God, the artistry, the design. You like design? You like designer work, designing clothes, sewing, sewing clothes. I mean, the detail into the, the sewing of, of the curtains of the walls and how, just everything about it and all the colors it should be jewels you like jewelry you know the breastplate of Aaron sewed into the the ephod you know the outer garment and and how it would hold Jews and sewed in one piece you like hammering metals metals metal craftsmanship you know hammering bronze you know making cast making wood out of acacia wood do you like you know like working with real fine woods building fine furnishings that's what they were doing they were all working together for this project of we cannot go on we cannot live and exist we can't take our next breath unless we have god with us we need his presence moses is determined with that we must have your presence or i'm not going on just like i mean he's basically just saying just kill me man just take me because we're not going on and i ain't leading these people unless you're coming with me and i want to know you're coming with me and i want to know your presence is there man this is like this is that one thing David was talking about, what we've been reading in our liturgy and speaking in the Psalms. David says, I've asked one thing. Whew. Well, that's that one thing. You know, what is it? One thing I'll seek after and put my energy, I'm coming after. One thing do, do you desire, David? What is it? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord. I need to be in with you. It's a passion that we see in the in, in the heart of, of the people of God. I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Ever leave your presence. Gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. That's what it's about. You're in there. It's a lot of fancy things, but it's that you're in there. Gaze on your beauty. Meditate, inquire in your temple, in your presence. Be led, guided, ministered to by you actually. Go out in wisdom and knowledge, your direction. What is this tabernacle? What does it look like, you know, looking at it? It's interesting, you know, I, I did a teaching, you know, on, on the garden because we came out of Genesis. And, and it's interesting, you might have not looked back there, but the, the first kind of temple what theologians will point you to is in the Garden of Eden. Wow, have you ever thought of the Garden of Eden being a temple? like a place where God met with man, you know? Like, and that's what it was, like in Genesis 3.8, when they're, they've, they've fallen. What do you hear was going on in the garden, it says? They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden. Think of that, God coming down to dwell with man and just walk with them, like, hey, how's your day been going? This, this intimate fellowship had been happening. And what's happening in Genesis 3.8, the Lord's walking in the garden. He came down in the cool, in the wind, in the cool breeze, in the wind of the, of the evening, in this special time of day. And, and, but what happens in, in Genesis 3.8 is the man and his wife hid themselves from what? From the presence of the Lord. Sin breaks you from even wanting the house of the Lord, even wanting the presence of the Lord. And sin did that. They were hiding now. They're not out walking with the Lord going, man, I can't wait till he gets here. I can't wait till I get with him. I can't wait just to 
walk with him. I, I, I do all the time, but this is the special time of the day. Now you find this devastating fall. Paradise. Paradise created. Paradise lost. But there's this hope of paradise promised. And so all of this, and it, has, it deals with the presence of the Lord. That's what they're s- separated from. And the garden has many features that the tabernacle has. And if you read it and kind of get into it and you kind of start looking back at the, at the garden, you see certain things. There's gold. Uh, there's gold in Genesis 2.12. It talks about the rivers and then it talks about these, this gold in the land. In Genesis 2.12, you know, why does it say that? The gold in the land is good. And then it mentions aromatic resins, this fragrant aromas in the garden. And then the onyx, it mentions rocks and stones and things that are precious. So you see a lot of similarities there in Genesis with the garden. Uh, that gold, precious stones, fragrant aromas, they're important to the tabernacle as well. You saw a lot about that when you read about the, the tabernacle. And then you see, you see in, the, in, the, in Genesis 2, you, you hear about cherubim, right? These creatures, or people say, well, angels, but cherubim aren't angels, man. They are a heavenly host being, but they are strange. And you can read, and Ezekiel gives a good example of what he saw with cherubim, you know. They have four faces and sides, and they can move any direction, and they're kind of ferocious, monster-looking things. It's what we would see them as, you know, powerful. And, and, and in Genesis 3, 24, these two cherubim are left at the east side of the Garden of Eden. It's where the, the gate is in, like the garden is surrounded by you know, some kind of wall, and there's this gate, and they, there's this place, and it's at the east side, and God drives Adam and Eve out and says, you can't eat from the tree of life, and, and then he places these two cherubim, flaming swords flashing back and forth to guard the way. They're guardians, priestly guardians, like, of, of the tree of life. And what do you see in the temple? There's cherubim. There's cherubim in the tabernacle. Uh, in the tabernacle, there was cherubim over the ark. They protected the covenant that God had made with man. They're looking at each other and they're looking down and their wings touched. And there was very elaborate instructions about these cherubim. And in Solomon's temple, he expanded on cherubim uh, big time. He has cherubim like this courtyard uh, that you might come up to. Our house has a little bitty foyer, a little hallway entrance. But the uh, courtyard that Moses set up was elaborate. And this courtyard, as you came up into the house... Um, was elaborate. And when you would come in, guess what direction it was laid out? From east to west. So you came in the east, and you're coming back into the garden. You're coming back to the tree of life, like, you know, not west to east, but it's set up and it's designed. They always had to set, up, set it up directionally, too. And, ta- and the ta- temple's built that way, too, east to west. So, so you're coming back into the presence of God. Anytime you're moving in the Bible, and it's s- symbolic, and you're moving from west to east, you're being cast out from the presence of God kind of when you're moving from east to west. So there's a directional thing. There's all kinds of things and details in it. But as they come in on the doors, uh, Solomon carved in the doors cherubim. It's like, you know, he's flashing like, am I really sure I want to come in here, you know? But you're moving back to the tree and God's made a way and he's saying, this is the way back into my presence. If you do it right, this is the way back to me. And they're, they're obeying that. And they're coming back. And Solomon spends some elaborate time on uh, the woodworking. And then, he, then, he, then, he, and then he inlays it, it sounds like, you know, with gold. You know, the doors are just magnificent. It's on the doorposts, on the entrance. You get that, man? Cherubim at the entrance, back in. 
It's, it's just really interesting, the, the amount that is spent on cherubim. Then you go through the next Holy of Holies on those doors. you got these two huge cherubim again and around the doorpost and all kinds of things. You're like entering into the holy, holy place. You know? And then when you enter into there, uh, Solomon built these two huge cherubim. They're gigantic. They're like 15 feet tall. You know, it's all measured in cubits. You know, this and this, about a foot and a half, you know, and these measurements. And, and, and they, they, they're like 15 feet tall. And they're like through the doorway. It's not just the entrance, but when you get in there, these two twin identical, again, you know, they're just measured in perfection. It's just interesting. Cherubim guarding the way, the similarities and how huge they are. The tips touch in the middle of the room precisely, and the tips go out and touch the exact side wall and the exact side wall. And it's just, you know, Gold, you know, the amount of gold, you know, I can't imagine, you know, when it said they left with great possessions from Egypt, it's like, man, they already built this golden calf and all this other stuff, and then Solomon, you know, all this coming down to the temple, there's just more and more gold, elaborate, and then you get to this, you know, one of the poor, you can bring out so many things, but the lampstand is interesting, because I did a whole teaching on trees, and what the lampstand represents is a tree, most theologians believe the actual tree of life, and it's in the most holy place, and it's elaborate, lampstand has these tree-like figures of, of branches, if you kind of think of a menorah, you know, you see this uh, within there, these seven branches, three on this side, and they have these cups, what these cups represent is, and this had to be hammered out of pure gold, um, and everything, there, there, there were, some people say, you know, like a wood frame thing. It was overlaid and then hammered with gold. Uh, but the, the, the ends of the branches, these are the calyxes. I don't know if you remember reading that. You know, and me and Teresa were like, what the heck is that? And it's the outer part of the flower. It's the out, outer part of the flower. It's, uh, you know, not just the petals, but what might be out protecting the petals. And so these calyxes were like the lampstand. That's what that is, the outer cup. And then, you know, and then the, the inner part, it represents a flower, and it, and it represents an almond blossom. So this is like an almond tree with, you know, there. It's like a tree, you know, and it looks like a tree and branches. And the, the weight of the gold on this lampstand, it kind of puts, puts it out there when you read it. It's like a talent, and you're like, and you just keep reading, you know. But you go back and go, what the heck is a talent of gold poured over this thing? And it's like, that's a lot of weight of gold. I say somewhere like 72 and then 75 pounds. I read and in the text it kind of says 75. But it's a lot of gold, right? On a lampstand, a lot of gold, man. Just, you know, these precious things, you know. And God's trying to say, you know, his, pre- his presence is precious, man. Is it precious to you? Is it, is it worth all this detail to get to it? Is it worth your best? Is it worth your everything? And it seems to be saying yes. I was trying to look out to how much, you know, 75 pounds of gold would be worth today. And that's like a million and a half somewhere, you know, I don't know, like a million and a half on a, on a lampstand, you know, it's like, it's like, it's just another drop in the bucket, because they're dumping gold all over the ark, and just, you know, and manuscripts, and bronze, and metals, and just curtains, and the Wolverine fabrics, you know, most people only had one set of clothes, you know, I mean, they were lucky, you know, Jesus himself, you know, he had one set of clothes, he had a robe, that's all he owned, you know, in a house, he didn't own anything in this life, but he had a, one nice set of threads, and they divided it up at the cross and cast garments, you know what I mean? And it, you know, was, was a marvelous piece of clothing. But, you know, we see this, this expense to this. And we see the similarities between the first temple and the garden at, and the tabernacle. And, and it's just, just beautiful and amazing. We get into, um, you know, and so their temple is the theme all through Scripture. You know, from the garden to the tabernacle to Solomon's temple. When the temple gets destroyed, very, 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 very sad day. God's presence has to leave. 
Ezekiel kind of shows that. His presence leaves before that temple can be destroyed. They believe it never would be because God's presence dwelt there, but God exited. They would, you know, got into sin so much. And that temple was, 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 was taken of everything, all that, into Babylon. And uh, sad day, but the temple is rebuilt, and the, the older men weep when the, old, the temple's rebuilt because it's such a sad copy of what originally was. And God's presence never is shown to come back there. And Herod has a temple, and Herod has spent 46 years remodeling this temple, or they have all together, and it's pretty elaborate for its day, and, and, and still is the presence of God back. Maybe not until Jesus walks in. And that's what these things are pointing to, pointing to the beauty of Jesus. Perhaps one of the most amazing things of all is that Jesus is described as God's dwelling place. And the temple in all its elaborate cost is, is showing us the cost that God would pay in his son. We celebrated recently the incarnation. What is that? It's that God came to dwell with us. Emmanuel preached on that. Emmanuel. What does that mean? It's God's presence coming to dwell with us. John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Think about that word dwelt dwelt among us. In in the Greek, when they translate the word tabernacle, when we're reading about the tabernacle in Exodus, it's that same Greek word as dwelt. So the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the old Hebrew, and so they they, they recreated, retranslated for the Greek-speaking world. The Septuagint, you know, profound document of the Old Testament scriptures in Greek, and they use this word dwelt. So do you know what that means? It means that the Word became flesh, Jesus, and what did He do? He tabernacled. He tabernacled. He tabernacled with us. He was, he was that, that glory of God, and that's what John goes on to say. He said, He tabernacled among us, and we've seen His glory. Remember that glory that descended in was so thick in the tabernacle? You know, Moses couldn't even go in. He's like, Jesus is coming. He's tabernacled, and we've seen His glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is His presence. This is His presence back. And John goes on to continue that story in John 2, because early on, John has this appearance of Jesus in the temple and overturning tables, and and you see what happening there, and they're like, hey, give us a sign, you know, how can you do these things, you know, and Jesus in John 2, uh, 19 says, he answers to them, here's a sign I'll give you, destroy this temple. Standing in Herod's temple, right? Rebuilt, so they're like looking around, destroy this temple, and in three days I'll rise it up, I'll raise it up. And the Jews said, it's taken us 46 years to build this temple. And you'll raise it up in three days? Ha! That's Bobby Barnett, little emphasis there. Doesn't actually have that, but you can hear the tone in that. But he was speaking about, and here's the revelation of the, of, of the Scripture, the temple of his body. Jesus was the temple. And that's what he was talking about. Destroy this temple. Destroy this body. And I'll raise it up in three days. It's that shift and that's that fulfillment and completion of all that you read about in the tabernacle in Exodus within a, within a man here on this earth, the only begotten Son of God full of grace and truth. That's that glory that filled the tabernacle 
It's dwelling in Jesus. Remember in Exodus 33, you know, this is that part where Moses, I was kind of explaining earlier, 33, 15 through 16, he says, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. This is Moses, man. He's, he's coming to this place, this, this, this wall of, you know, I'm not going on without your presence. And he goes on and says, for how shall it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not in your going with us? So that we are distinct. This is the only thing that makes the people of God distinct is the presence of God. It's the only thing that makes you distinct if you're a child of God is is his presence with you and in you. Moses said, I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth, what makes us distinct as your people, your presence? So God says, okay, well, you can't see my face and live, so what I'll do is put you in the cleft of this rock, and I'll pass by, and you'll see my glory pass by, and you'll know that I'm with you. And so he does that. And that's all you know, Moses can handle. In Exodus 40, verse 35 in our text, Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the clouds settled on it. The glory of the Lord filled the temple. But we see something in Jesus. We see John saying, we could behold him. We could behold his glory. And then we see at the cross in Matthew 27, 51. Do you guys remember this thing that happened that Actually, all three Gospels record this incident, very important incident, when Jesus died on the cross. Matthew records it this way, and behold, okay, you guys ready to behold? The curtain of the temple was torn in two. How was it torn? From top to bottom. Remember those curtains? Separating the cherubim out, don't come in, only come in this way, and get in the holy place, cherubim, curtain, it says, when Jesus died, that curtain was rent in two. And there's so much meaning in that. Just to meditate in his temple on that, in his presence, could be mind-blowing and altering. But just to touch on it a little bit, this was most likely the, temp- the curtain between the way Matthew describes it is the curtain of the temple would be the, the part of the inner court. The actually, before you go into the Holy of Holies, it would be that. Torn, ripped. Suggest that the way has been made into the Holy of Holies. The author of Hebrews expounds on this. says, we have confidence to enter the holy place. And Hebrews is one of the most in-depth books about entering into the presence of God that there is through Jesus. Now, Jesus is, is, is better than, than angels. Jesus is better and superior to Moses. He was a son in the house. He's superior to uh, the priesthood of Aaron. He's a priest in the order of Melchizedek, and he's this final priest, and he's this final sacrifice, and he's this complete everything. And it gets to Hebrews 10, and he's, here's the application to all that. What was accomplished by the blood of Jesus is you can enter into this new and living way in Hebrews 10.20 that Christ opened up for us through the veil, which is his flesh, his body. He opened it up like through his body. His body was ripped on the cross. It was torn on the cross so that we could enter in. The breaking of Jesus' body at the crucifixion 
was the unprecedented means by which believers have access to the presence of God. When you step in, any one of you right now can step into the Holy of Holies and step in and start talking to God and be in His presence. That was mind-boggling. That was unheard of of any peoples with any gods they believe that you could do that. And Jesus has made that kind of access. And how do we approach it? You know, when we go back and read the, the, the extreme detail of this tabernacle, we realize, wow, what has gone before me to pave the way for me to enter into the Holy of Holies with God when only one priest one time a year could enter into this place? I can enter. What does that mean? It's just, it's just mind-blowing that we have that kind of access. We are the church. Paul just blows the minds of mostly the Corinthians because he says to the Corinthians, do you not know that you are the temple of God? First Corinthians 3.16. In 2 Corinthians 6.16, he says, we're the temple of the living God. And then he explains in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he gets into some application about what that means when you come to presence. What does all this mean? Yeah, holy, okay. It's kids. Who cares? What's the thing with our life now? And I want to get into some of that, but I just want to see that even this temple continues through the church the church is the temple of God. And then in Revelations, from Genesis, from the Garden of Eden temple to Revelations again, this theme of the temple runs all the way through. At the end in Revelation 21, what does it say in 21.3? It says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them and, will be, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. This is the conclusion of all of this. Like these temple, um, temples all end up in this temple that in, in the end of Revelation that we're able to dwell there in this place with God. This new Jerusalem, it says, that comes down out of heaven adorned as a bride. It has all those things, man. Jewels. And you think of what Peter said. Peter said, you're living stones placed in this spiritual house. Think of that. You know, that you're a part, you know, it's not a stagnant stone. It's not like you're just a brick and you're put in there, but you're a gorgeous jewel. You're a precious stone. You're a living stone. You're living. So it's not like, oh, a fixated building that Peter's talking about. He's talking about you're a living, uh, put together with other people, with other believers, the church, the adorned bride of Christ. You're a spiritual house for God to dwell in. He dwells within his people when they're fitted together. They're precious jewels fitted together. And this is what's coming down out of heaven, this temple. And it, he, it proclaims that the Lamb will, and, and, and the Father, you know, will be this temple. This is our hope. At the end of the age, at the end of everything, of the whole cosmos, that we'll experience the glory of God's holiness, and it will be in the most innermost sacred uh, chamber <laughs> of the temple. We, we will have arrived, as you might say. And in Revelation 21, 22, uh, to blow your mind a little more at the conclusion of this, uh, John says, I, I saw no temple in this city, for its temple is the Lord. The temple is the Lord, the God Almighty, and the Lamb. I mean, it's like, that's what you're there for, not for the gold, not for the curtains, not for the, 
you know, anything. Revelation 21, 22. You're there because of his presence, and you don't need a temple. It's, 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 he is the temple. The Lord God Almighty and the Lamb is the temple. It's like Jesus said in John 14, you know, don't worry, don't let your hearts be troubled. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. He's, he's got that place ready. And in that place, he is that final temple. Jesus is the temple. He says he's the temple. He says my body's the temple. We enter into the holy place through Jesus. Jesus is everything. And in the end, the God Almighty, the glory of God and the Lamb together. You no longer need a temple. You're in. You're in his innermost presence with nothing to hinder anymore. No sin to hinder anymore. The separation of that presence. Glorified. Place where there's no more mourning. Death itself. The final enemy is put away completely. And it means for us in our application, this phrase, I read this on a a Ligonier article, and they concluded this article about uh, being in the presence of God with quorum Deo. And I I will admit I didn't know what that, I didn't grow up with a lot of Latin, uh, and so I didn't know what that meant, quorum Deo. And it it lists, and it says, to live one's life entirely in the presence of God, under the authority of God, to the glory of God. That's how I want to live my life, quorum Deo. Literally translated, in the presence of God. I want to live my life in the presence of God, um, and that nothing will take the place of the presence of God, just to, like David said, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. As we close and worship and take communion, just, I was listening, you know, an old song, you know, about being in the presence of God. His presence is everything. And it says, nothing like your presence. All my days on earth I will await the moment that I see you face to face. Nothing in this world can satisfy Because, Jesus, you're the cup that won't run dry. Let us worship as we take communion and together and we worship with our um, song. We're going to sing the song now and and then do the prayer. So we'll worship and sing the song, but don't leave after this last song because we want to pray over um, Mike and Scarlett and their family. In the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he gave thanks for it. He said, this is the veil. You ready for the veil? The flesh, the flesh, the body of Jesus is the veil that was torn for you, was broken for you. This is my body given for you, Jesus said was given so you can enter into the most holy place. His, his flesh was, was, was ripped and torn asunder and broken flesh-wise. Not a bone in his body we looked at last week was broken, but his flesh was torn so that we could enter into that place with God and you could have his presence in your life leading and guiding and directing you. Isn't that precious? Because of the body of Jesus, the veil was torn Partake of this bread. This is his body. Do this in remembrance of him.
In like manner, he took the cup. This was the bloodshed, the blood of the new covenant. Whew. Not a covenant of stone, but a covenant of his spirit that would inhabit you, your very body. Not just be with you, but be in you. This covenant, this new covenant in his blood would make it so. Make it possible. His blood cleanses you to the uttermost. The final sacrifice. No more sacrifices. The end of all sacrifices made a way for his spirit, his presence to dwell within you. You dwell with him and he dwells inside of you now. All by faith and the gift of this, his body and his blood. It's the blood of the new covenant given in for you for the remission of sins, to make you holy enough to enter into the holy place. Praise the Lord. Partake of the cup. Let us worship the Lamb of God. We